0: To get started, visit realvision.com slash RVpod. Use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, June 6, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake here with Katie Stockton. Founder and managing partner at Fair Lead Strategies. Hi, Katie. How are you?
2: Hi, Maggie. I'm good.
1: How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I think it's such a great time to catch up with you because so many people are looking at this market action, trying to figure out how to position themselves, what direction everything's moving. it's it was it was such a sort of volatile, choppy spring. Um and I think people kind of want to reset here as we enter the summer. You know, we saw equities to that point rally strongly at the beginning of the day and then they wobble they managed to end you know in positive territory with some gains um but you could kind of feel the churn the the 10 year treasury moving back above 3% which concerned equities we have oil at 120 so i think it's a kind of good good time to sort of take stock of where we are from a technical perspective which which is where your strength is and and your focus is um and try to figure out You know what we should do, like pull the lens back a little bit and get some perspective here. So let's start with equities, because this is the question we get over and over again. Have we reached a bottom for stocks? Right? Is the bear market bottoming and is it time to step in and start thinking about buying some of the beaten up names or is there more pain ahead? What are you seeing with the price action?
2: Well, with some hindsight, we can, of course, say that we've seen a short-term bottom, at least. Um, The the relief rally has been pretty impressive for the major indices since last month. And yet, um, the question, of course, remains as to how sustainable this relief rally is. And I suspect that, unfortunately, as we get into the summer months, that we might see a bit more downside volatility before we actually establish a proper intermediate or long-term low. And I say that primarily based on the longer-term indicators, and it's an environment in which it's incredibly important to focus on the monthly gauges, in our opinion, because they are really setting the tone, where since late last year, we've seen a pretty meaningful loss of upside momentum. That's not news to anyone at this point, uh, but it really accelerated at the start of this year. And with that, of course, we saw downside leadership from the mega caps that, you know, the large cap technology names, the thing plus Microsoft and Tesla complex. And of course, that's an environment in which it's really impossible for the major indices to, to work their way higher when you have their downside leadership. So that leaves us at a, a place where we're looking for, you know, a bottom. And yet, we don't feel like it based on those monthly indicators that we have it yet. So if you look at something like a stochastic oscillator, which is an overbought oversold measure, it's not oversold yet on the monthly chart of the S&P 500. If you were to look at the monthly MACD, which is a gauge that is trend following or momentum based, that's on a fairly new sell signal. It's a little bit disconcerting, the posture of that indicator. It ju- does tell us that we are in probably a bear market cycle within what we think is still a secular bull move. And, and yet when you look at the cloud model, which is another one of our trending gauges on a chart that we've shared with you, you'll see that it's pretty well below current levels. And that creates not really a vacuum necessarily, but it does give you a sense that there is still some downside risk perhaps. And and that's where we turn our focus to the important levels in the charts.
1: So what what levels are you looking at? I think this is really important because you get the sense that people want to step in here and start buying. I mean, if you look at some of the the declines from the highs they hit, and I know I know that is that's dangerous territory to do that. But if you look at that, people say, wow, you know, this this tech stock is down 30 percent, down 40 percent. Some of them some of them are down 80 percent from their highs. You know, it ha- the worst has to be over. What are you looking at from a from, you know, from the broader index? And then we'll dive into some some sectors and some more detail later. But what are you looking at from the broad index in terms of downside for the S&P 500? How much more pain could we see?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the latest breakdown point was roughly 4,200. So that's looming nearby as potential resistance. We don't have a lot of conviction as to where this relief rally ends, but we think it'll end fairly quickly. And with that, we think we'll see another retracement, downdraft, and retest of important support, which is about 38.15 in our work based on a Fibonacci retracement level. So once that level is tested, we'll have a good sense as to whether this downtrend is going to keep hold, and we suspect it will keep hold based on those longer-term gauges. So we're looking for a breakdown and then the secondary support becomes about 3,500. That might be the end point for it. We, we can't be sure. We really rely on our indicators to give us a sense of when we have that kind of long-term low at hand. So we'll wait for those gauges to turn so it's not just a level that we're focused on as a place that we'd be adding exposure. We really want to see some stabilization. And, and unfortunately, that's what we don't have yet. So there, I agree with you. There's a lot of people out there looking for entries, especially in some of the technology stocks that have been so uh, beaten up, and yet we feel like it's too early to suggest that we have something that has um, a shelf life to it. And it, we, we don't wanna have to become traders trying to navigate these two, three week swings and we fear that the market's going to be in for more of that for the summer months and and we're looking for a low to be established somewhere in the September October time frame um tbd as to whether that becomes an intermediate or long-term low though so there's still a lot of variables out there to consider and with the higher growth arena they are deeply oversold long-term if you look at the same long-term gauge that we look for at for the S&P 500 They are now oversold and yet we suspect this is the kind of tape that requires not like a V bottom but rather some kind of basing phase which means it goes sideways perhaps even sideways to lower with a lot of volatility. Before finding finding that kind of uh, support level undergoing accumulation to a great degree where it actually is ready for a base breakout. So we think it's going to be more of a process uh, than an event in terms of a low and that's why we're not in a rush to buy even the most
1: oversold names in the market. Super, super important, and that kind of environment is not for everyone. If you're nimble, if you're a you know a, a trader who's glued to their screens all the time, and you and you thrive in volatility, and you know how to use instruments around that, great. If that's not your cup of tea, it sounds like you you got to sort of protect yourself and 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 stay clear through some of this. Two, a couple questions. First of all, we have Michael and Bob both asking, um, what happens going into VIX expiration and options expirations next week. Is that something that affects the way you look at price action? How do you take take into account that sort of event, those sort of events?
2: You know, it's not really my universe that the expirations, I, I do know that they can influence Price at, at a certain point in time. Uh, but my approach is more just based on the technical indicators that we're using, looking at momentum over bought over sold readings, especially over bought over sold readings as it pertains to the volatility index or VIX, because that is not your normal trending instrument per se. So I know things can get pinned at various levels, but it, it's not really where we spend our time. But we want to make sure we're eliminating any noise that that creates by looking at things that are smooth versions of the VIX or the S&P 500 or any other market kind of benchmark. As it pertains to the short term view of the VIX, the VIX has certainly pulled back already pretty uh, notably as we've seen a relief rally in the S&P 500 It is now sort of fast approaching what we think is support around its 200 day moving average, which it is pointing higher now. And that's a reflection of the high volatility cycle that the market entered a few months ago. So we're looking for another higher low to be established by the VIX. And that would be our indication to recommend hedging um, strategies for our, our clients.
1: So be careful about buying the dip based on what you're seeing. What about selling into the rally? Is that, I mean, are we going to, are we in an environment where you have to, you know, the old saying, buy the dip, sell the rip? Are we in an environment where you need to be thinking about being agile and selling a, a bounce here? Yeah, so to the same sort of end that we'd be hedging
2: with the VIX upturn, we'd be selling uh, with an S&P 500 downturn. So we're really attuned to our short-term indicators, watching for any deterioration, of which it would be more meaningful right now because the market is trending lower, as opposed to in an uptrending market, we'd be less inclined to really react to, say, a short-term overbought downturn. So we're really I'd say, um, hyper-focused on these short-term gauges and unwilling to take on the risk that we think is sort of inherent to this market right now. So we are a better seller in general, and we're just taking it from a bottom-up perspective on a case-by-case basis to see how the indicators shape up.
1: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing I want to talk sectors in a moment, but you, you know, in this environment, I mean, we've seen some of the headlines. I mean, the, the hedge fund managers have been around for a long time. I mean, this has been a really difficult market. Things are moving or, you know, relationships that used to exist kind of breaking down everything down or You, uh, I understand, launched an ETF, a new ETF, to try to avoid some of the drawdowns so that people have some powder dry when there is a little bit more clarity. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, what strategy are you using?
2: Well, it's called the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF. So it is sector focused. The ticker is TAC or T-A-C-K. And the design is to leverage sector momentum and relative strength primarily. And yet, of course, as you note, it has an asset allocation piece to it, to the strategy, in that when those sectors are not firing on all cylinders, We do see that model move into a combination of short-term treasuries, long-term treasuries and gold. And that kind of diversification does help tack, minimize drawdowns. We've already seen that since its inception. And it's it's really important, as you know, to to mitigate risk in this type of environment. So, it's really very appropriate for what we see to be a a higher risk type of tape for uh, the major indices, where we can still leverage the sectors that are working, of which which at at present, that's not many of them. It does have exposure to the energy sector for one. And that might not be a historically defensive sector, but it is a sector that is working right now. So otherwise, the the sector exposure leans more defensive, utilities and staples. And then we have those uh, sort of risk off pieces in the treasury exposure and the gold exposure. So taken together, it's a very conservative strategy to approach U.S. equities, large cap and focus and designed to reduce drawdowns, but also to be there when the market does come out of this type of mode. And I think that's really a problem for a lot of us. We, we don't have the confidence to get back into a market after, let's say, you know, 2008 type of environment. It takes us almost, you know, much longer than it should, let's put it that way, to get back to our full exposure.
1: Yeah. And so this so this does it this this senses it uh, and, and does it for you and starts to reallocate as the indicator suggests that that it needs to be happening. So so it sounds like overweight um, energy utilities, which makes sense. Healthcare, I think, is on that list as well. Right. So in our research, we tend to be um, intermediate
2: term and in focus, whereas tax a bit more long term and focus and intermediate term relative strength is still benefiting, of course, energy, utilities and staples. But also we have as overweight um, health care and materials. And uh, th- those sectors have just done really well in this environment of late. And and of course, um, you know, there are some sort of market cap considerations to keep in mind in terms of the heavyweight positions in those sectors. Uh, healthcare does have sort of a defensive tilt, as you know, with some of the large cap pharmaceutical exposure. Uh, but, but we like those sectors as, as relative performers. And yet in a downtrending market or a bear market cycle, unfortunately, relative performance doesn't necessarily mean you're making money. And that's the hard part because we don't, most of us don't live in a relative world. We, we of course, want to beat the S&P 500, but we really want to make money. Um, And unfortunately, that relative strength really hasn't done much in terms of producing absolute gains. I think the the best example is probably, uh, you know, if you look at that consumer staples and the influence of uh, Walmart's disappointment, um, you know, that that corrective phase has been there for now a few weeks. And, and it's unfortunate, but these these sectors don't look as good in absolute terms as you would hope.
1: Mm. And what 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 are areas that people should think about being underweight or reducing exposure to if, if they have it already? It's funny because I feel like some of the stuff that's been doing well in this bounce you know, d- does that hold for a more intermediate term or is that something that you should be aware of? And if you're in it, you got in it and rode this little bounce. Think about reducing exposure again. What, what, what should we be underweight?
2: Yeah. And I think that's the mindset is to be selling into strength, right? Taking this gift of a relief rally from the market and remembering how it felt before the re- relief rally. And uh, with the underperformance that we've seen from the technology sector in particular year to date, I think we need to respect the trend there as being lower. Um, but within that context, of course, we are benefiting from a brief phase of outperformance that we think will uh, you know, ultimately recommend folks use as a selling opportunity. Not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, communication services is another downtrending sector relative to the S&P 500. And also consumer discretionary, some of these, again, you need to have that sort of market cap consideration. Amazon, of course, for one, is a big piece of that consumer discretionary uh, portfolio for for the sector spider funds. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, But to us, you know, it's a short term oversold bounce, something to be used as a selling opportunity to avoid uh, those downtrends
1: in relative and also in absolute terms and we'll, we'll try to share um some of katie's charts after this conversation um so you can you can take a closer look at what she's talking about want to ask you about uh, china the chinese tech sector i know that you're watching that um as one of the sectors and we had a lot of news on that that was one of the early catalysts today after the wall street journal reported that chinese regulators were wrapping up their investigations into didi the the you know the ride ha- the ride hailing um, Company, this sort of Uber of China, um, that stock jumped. I think it was 50% at one point. I'm not sure if it closed mm-hmm. there, but you know, th- this a lot of people taking this as a signal that maybe that government crackdown on tech is finally coming to an end. What are you seeing from a price action point of view here?
2: You know, a technology and I, I'd also sort of lump in the high growth names here domestically, um, you know, along with these Chinese sort of tech benchmarks like a K-Web as an ETF representing the space. We we featured that ETF recently as one that seemed to be turning the corner, finding a footing, maybe not from a long term perspective, but at least from a short term perspective. And, and our basis for that was simply looking at positive divergences on the latest pullback. And we started to see some breakouts above uh, minor resistance levels like the 50-day moving averages. and And the impact, of course, was favorable on our intermediate term gauges as well. So we wanted to make sure to highlight that and we had heard in our conversations that well at least China had some potential positive catalysts. Uh, they were thinking more in terms of the reopening, of course. Um, but it, it's something that that drew our appeal to it, and of course we've seen bullish price action there, and 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 it does reflect short-term risk-on positioning. We've seen that with the relief rally in the S and P 500, and I, I, it's hard to picture China doing very well if we enter into the next down leg here pretty soon so we're, we're somewhat non-committal to the counter trend move but for now it's working and we really don't have a lot of sell signals to speak of we, we often derive our sell signals from the demarc indicators and we're not seeing a lot of sell signals on that front yet and with these short-term breakouts that that can kind of exacerbate the momentum behind the move so for now it seems to be working and I think that's helping sort of preserve the risk appetite here in the near term. We also have a little bit of a, a blip higher in Bitcoin for one, and we're seeing that as another source of risk appetite uh, for for investors. So when we come in the morning and we see Bitcoin up, say, 5%, well, that that at least is better than the alternative for the equity market to which it's been very highly correlated.
1: Yeah, that's it's so interesting that you bring that up because we know that you know uh, cryptocurrencies have been getting just hammered in this risk-off environment. We did see that bounce today, but a lot of people. Uh, still, much like other parts of the market, still really worried about the direction uh, of of cryptocurrencies, of Bitcoin. Ash Bennington spoke with one of them, Imran Laka, the founder of Option Insight, who warns that he still thinks there's risk in this space. Let's have a listen to
3: that clip. If ETH wants to continue underperforming, which I think it probably will in a in a move down towards 20k on Bitcoin, I'd be surprised if Ethereum outperforms that, given the higher beta nature of it. I think it will go down. I think this ratio will probably go down. And the kind of levels that we need to be kind of being, keep an eye on is 0.055, which is that old level, that old support zone, which we got to in kind of summer last year. And then below that, I've got, I've got a, I've got a retracement level there at 0.048 from the entire rally from the lows made back in sort of December or sorry, Jan 21. So so we've got some big levels there, um, and if, to put it into some context, if Bitcoin was to get as low as twenty k, then you know getting to zero point zero five on this on this ratio would basically take Ethereum to a thousand, right? Which is a half a half from here, basically, right? So you've got to be open minded to the idea that even though we've come off so much already. If Bitcoin's got legs to the downside still, down to 20-odd K, where, where you'd like to think it's got quite a lot of support down there, we could well see Ethereum at 1,000.
1: And that full interview is available on realvision.com. Uh, and remember, uh, on the crypto tier, it's free. You just have to sign up with your email. So you want to check that out. Now, so, Katie, what do, what are your charts telling you uh, about you know wh- where, if any, has has Bitcoin bottomed? Is there support? You know, we saw a pretty big breakdown
2: by Bitcoin and uh, most other cryptocurrencies, unfortunately, on their charts. And we've been watching something called the cloud model, the same model that you saw on the S&P 500 chart. Uh, this is on the weekly chart, however, and it was penetrated not that long ago. And that essentially affirmed what we already suspected, which was that, uh, you know, there's a, been a, a very significant loss of long term momentum. You can see it in the monthly gauges, you know, the monthly MACDs are pointing lower. Uh, We have seen some improvement in intermediate term momentum, uh, but we suspect that, like for the equity market, it should be somewhat fleeting here because when you see a breakdown of the nature that we saw, it leaves a lot of resistance in its wake. So, what was formerly support often becomes resistance. We also have issues in terms of, let's say, the 50 day moving average, uh, the former support going back a few months. So, there's a lot of reasons to suspect that in the sort of mid 30,000 range for Bitcoin, there is pretty strong resistance. And then you have to respect that long term downside momentum. So we do think that we'll see a retest of the lows. We have sort of a bullish short term bias, but more bearish, intermediate and long term bias in our research.
1: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.
1: Is there is there a support level or, you know, a downside target? Mutshear is asking about, you know, whether there is any buying opportunity or more downside. You see more downside on an intermediate term. But is there a level that starts to look interesting to you? The support that we've
2: been watching to date is around 27,200 and it's based primarily on a Fibonacci retracement level. And it it wasn't really a widely followed level and yet it did provide support on the last downdraft. So that did to us emphasize its importance. Now, we we think that after this relief rally, which we think will persist here in the very near term, that Bitcoin is at risk of a retest and even a breakdown below that level. And then you just start to talk about, unfortunately, I don't want to um, scare anyone, but we're talking sub- 20,000 uh, as next support. So there, there's really a lot of room uh, to secondary support if that 27,200 level is broken. Uh, so we, we, of course, don't want to see that. Uh, but what's good about these support levels and having defined levels in mind is that you can always have uh, basically a mental stop loss uh, by mm-hmm. knowing where that support should come in. And if it doesn't, well, then you can at least, you know, de- I guess, uh, decide that risk is perhaps heightened.
1: Super, super important in this environment to have some parameters, right? Have some guardrails, some things that you want to be watching, especially given all the pain that people have endured. Um, I think that's really critical. Uh, We've got a couple of questions coming in um, from Greg and from Michael about credit markets. Uh, Michael, specifically, what is major resistance on the 10 year, 30 year?
2: Yeah, so I I look primarily at 10 year Treasury yields, and uh, the major resistance is very widely followed, I would say around three and a quarter. It's based on the 2018 high. Uh, We've already seen uh, what we consider to be a long term reversal higher there. And by long term, we're talking like multi year, because it was a multi decade downtrend channel that it lifted from. And yet that resistance is quite strong, and we've already seen it or, you know, sort of uh, create a loss of upside momentum behind Treasury yields. And we actually think that's going to stay with the Treasury market here, uh, p- potentially even for a few months based on our indicators. I referenced at one point the DeMarc indicators. And in those DeMarc indicators on the monthly charts especially, we are seeing some signs of exhaustion that are not major, but they support about four months or so of sort of sideways digestion for both yields and treasury bond prices, right? So so we're looking for that. We also are seeing that some of the same from the dollar index. So we're, we're looking for the dollar, which has a, seen a very strong um, uptrend, of course, to also get into this kind of backing and filling digestion mode for a few months as the equity market um, makes another leg.
1: You know, it's interesting that the, the dollar has been just so persistently strong. And if it's in this consolidation period, does that mean that that we've sort of hit the highs, or could it just form another another base there and move higher? I think um Andreas and, and Rao were talking about this last Friday, um, and some concern that it could it could sort of have another leg higher after that. And of course there are loads of implications for many parts of the financial system, the global financial system, if you have a uh, an overly strong uh, dollar, the dollar wrecking ball, right, is what, what people refer to it as. Can Can you tell yet, is there any indication of whether that consolidation is the high or whether it could set up for another move higher.
2: Well, I think we always have to assume that the prevailing trend will continue. That's sort of a technical, um, I guess, mantra here. So so we, we do assume that eventually the, the consolidation that we're expecting here in the coming months will resolve higher, uh, but not to minimize the strength of the resistance level that is being tested by the dollar index and on the flip side uh, by the euro against the dollar. These are very key levels that are in play. They've been in pa- place for you know, a decade or, or even more. And so they're, they're very strong resistance and they're in also support for the euro level. So, so we think that this is a natural place for us to see some consolidation, digestion, if you will, And of course, it could also reverse, but we'll have to sort of take that as it comes. We can't predict that. But our assumption is that it will ultimately break out to the upside. And then, of course, um, implications of that could be macro in nature.
1: Yeah, I want to squeeze in one more question um, from Jose, and that is what levels are you looking at for the NASDAQ 100? He was super specific about that. And of course, again, you know, some of those mega cap tech names are leading. We know Amazon was in the news that had its 20 to one stock split, but we saw strength in Apple and, you know, some of those names. What are you looking at for the NASDAQ 100 from a level perspective? That's
2: right. I mean, everybody's kind of watching that too, of course, because it really does reflect uh, the the FANG stocks and their relative strengths. So we have seen some underperformance aligned with, uh, you know, versus the S&P 500 aligned with the underperformance from the technology sector more broadly. So it's the tech heavy NASDAQ 100 index long-term support there is roughly ten thousand six hundred um, so so of course we we don't want to see that level. Um, but but we're going to be very very respectful of any additional breakdowns that we see, both the Nasdaq 100 and also the S and P 500. If you take a look at their weekly bar charts, you can see something that looks a bit like a head and shoulders top. We're we're not really big into price patterns, um, but but it's it's essentially a derivation of support and resistance levels and both indices have completed these head and shoulders tops. So uh, that basically enhances the bearish cycle that we think is underway. And we're not using those as a derivation for the price targets. Um, But the support levels do suggest that there's still a lot of risk.
1: Katie, this was such great timing to get this perspective from you today. So appreciate you coming on. And as we said, we'll um. Get everyone, we'll put some of those charts out so you can sort of, you know, zoom in on them and, and really see what Katie's talking about, about, some of the trends she's seeing. But great way to kick off the week and give us another aspect uh, for a lot of these markets that we need to take into consideration as we try to protect our money, right? Make money, That's hopefully, right. but certainly protect it um, and not get sort of, you know, sucked into perhaps Trying to, to time a bottom here, and especially from what you say. And it sounds like there's a lot of reason to still be very cautious. So, totally appreciate you today, Katie. Thanks so much.
2: Of course, Maggie. Take care.
1: Yeah. And thanks to all of you. Great questions, as always. I'm going to be back here same time tomorrow with Tony Greer. So, come with all those questions. Uh, in the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very
2: best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads.